Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And don't forget to separate and stand out. Taylor and I love recording this podcast and getting behind-the-scenes insight for you all on everything related to postgraduate training preparation. We'll be releasing another episode on the 31st of January about mental health and the ASHP match. But then we'll be kind of taking a brief break for about three weeks just because this is the busiest time of year. And usually our um, y'all are really busy with interview season or something like that. So we'll be taking a quick three-week break before releasing another episode, but we promise we'll be back. And this doesn't mean we aren't here to help if you have any questions throughout the process. So if you have any questions or comments, just let us know through social media. This episode is releasing on a very special day. I want to make sure that we take a moment and recognize Martin Luther King Jr. for his heroism and all of his contributions to the civil rights movement when we're releasing this episode. Hopefully our listeners are getting a break from rotation or work so that they can breathe and reflect. And one of my favorite quotes, Taylor, from MLK that I think matches well with what our listeners are currently going through is, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. This quote is very fitting uh, for this particular time. We know it's really tough, but you're going to get through it. Keep those goals at the forefront of your minds. Keep focusing on what you want to accomplish and use that as fuel to keep you motivated throughout this grueling process. So last episode, we heard about the experience of virtual and in-person interviews from current residents who've recently went through the process. This week, we continue that theme and get the perspective of an RPD, a Residency Program Director. Our guest today is Dr. Adenika Atanda, who is an assistant professor at the University of North Texas Health Science Center at Fort Worth and the Residency Program Director for their PGY2 in Ambulatory Care and Academia. Adenika, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Taylor and Sean, for the invitation. I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk to everyone. I was thrilled to learn before the show that you also coordinate a postgraduate preparatory elective. We always have our guests tell us a little bit about their journey with postgraduate training. That's kind of our tradition on the show and how you get to where you are today. But can you also, when you're doing that, tell us about the elective and your experience with that? Sure. Uh, So I did my Doctor of Pharmacy degree in Maryland at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. And my first year of my residency, which is a pharmacy practice residency, was in Virginia at Valley Health. And second year was in ambulatory care at the University of Illinois at Chicago, UIC. And um, from there, I came straight to Fort Worth to join uh, the UNT System College of Pharmacy, also known as the HSC. 
College of Pharmacy, and I've been here for about six years now. And throughout that process, just really fell in love with the, you know, residency, of course, process, but also the preparation for that. And just being a resource for our students here on campus, I'm very passionate about clinical pharmacy and um, ambulatory care pharmacy, of course, being my specialty. And there was just such a need for mentorship and just, you know, advice and helping our students navigate the process, which can be quite intimidating. And so um, myself and another colleague, Dr. Brittany Polisic-Torres, co-directed the course for the last three years and has been great. It's targeted to the third year pharmacy students. And we're able to, for that whole semester, which is typically the spring semester, walk them through the entire process from how to interview, how to write a letter of intent, look for great letter of recommendation writers. We have mock interviews, which we've also included virtual mock interviews now, given the climate that we're dealing with COVID, and just some mental health and wellness topics too, right? So how to deal with stress, how to even budget for interviews. Those can be quite expensive too. And it's been so well received and um, we've doubled the class sizes since we started doing this. And so we're really happy to be able to offer, you know, something that is career building for the students. Thanks for sharing your about your journey. I'm really interested in hearing more about your perspective. So I want to start us off with the first question that we have. Last episode, we asked Macy and Devin, our residents, what was going through their head and what they were doing at the beginning of January. So similarly, as an RPD and program, what are you all doing to prepare for interviews? What's going through your minds this first few weeks of the new year? Sure. Um, So we're like in the prime time and season of application reviews. Our deadline was Monday, so we're just neck in, in, in the neck of things and trying to, you know, review all the applications we receive. We do have a system in which we're able to have multiple reviewers go through each application. And then uh, we're going to have a meeting as a residency advisory committee and start to, you know, rank through our applications and see who we want to invite. I definitely had a lot of consideration given the current um, COVID pandemic and our decision as to how we want to proceed with the interviews. So we're currently working through the details of that as well and just trying to get everyone, you know, trained and ready uh, to start to have our application and interview process, you know, finalized soon. So you mentioned a couple of things I want to highlight there. You said one, multiple reviews, which I think most programs are probably the same, multiple reviews with the, with, the applications to ensure consistency. And you mentioned another thing. You said that it's an unknown world right now with with the reemergence of Omicron. So it's kind of like you're trying to, to make sh- you're trying to make sure that you're doing the right things in terms of how we're going to interview those candidates. And I want to point those out because I think a lot of programs are in the exact same boat. I know we're in the exact same boat down here. And uh, students are probably really anxious because they're they don't know what's going on other than I submitted my application and maybe I got an email that said they're looking at it, but I haven't heard anything. So when am I going to start hearing stuff? So this is a real unique year and you just kind of mentioned it there. Very unique. There's a lot going on, but also you're, you're being very thorough and programs are very thorough with this. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, we, we appreciate the effort it takes. We I went through this, you know, a couple of years ago and I know how much effort and preparation goes into it. So we want to make sure that we take everyone's application 
with as much diligence um, and really reading through every comment. We read through those letters of recommendations. It might not seem like it, but we do. And like you mentioned, really having multiple reviewers, that way we minimize any bias or potential for um, anything being overlooked right in the review process by having multiple eyes on it so we can have as robust as we can a review of the application and also just give the best best candidate that we can as a program. Excellent. So kind of switching gears a little bit more towards the actual interview process, what do you all do to prepare your preceptors or key personnel that are involved in your interview process? Sure. So it kind of starts with our recruitment strategy. So we have a lot of our preceptors and our personnel involved in recruitment. And then we have multiple meetings as a committee to kind of discuss our our approach, the candidates we've seen. Um, I also like to tell students that, you know, if you had a great showing at an interview that's either virtual or in person during recruitment, we talk about you and we talk about all the positive um, and sometimes not so positive interactions (laughs) that we've had on these showcases. And so it's just a great time for us to come together and talk about that. And then in preparation for the actual interview, we go through our rubrics together, make sure everyone's on the same page with the scaling system and knows how to apply it. Um, And then we kind of get ready for interview season. And so everyone knows the schedule. We know who's coming on site or, you know, who's who's interviewing virtually. Uh, That way we share your CVs, we share applications in advance. So everyone is, is welcoming. Even our dean knows when we have interviews starting so that they can also meet with the dean and interview Uh, at least, you know, talk to the dean as well. And so we're all on board and trying to, you know, kick gears into into place to really create as much of a showing as we can. It's not just the resident showing themselves, it's us as a program showing what we have to offer as well. And so we need to make sure everyone is is aware and ready to go. So you mentioned the dean thing. The and I met with the dean when I did my PGY2 because it was AmCare residency where it was a academic focus. That's probably unique to academic focused uh, PGY2s, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's a great point that you bring up. We do have a very significant academic portion to our residency program. And so it's very important for not only the dean, but even the chair of our department to meet with candidates since they're going to be um, kind of involved in the teaching and precepting of our students. Um, But you're right. If you have an affiliated program with just a, a standalone university, that might not be the case. So I know we've kind of talked about the elephant in the room with the Omicron um, kind of reemerging. So have you all as a program decided or made any decisions about having virtual versus in-person interviews? Or do you mind sharing like what went into that decision and what was influenced by it and maybe what you've seen other programs do? Sure. Um, I, I feel like we all felt a little better last year with things kind of with the vaccination rollout that was going on. We're like, okay, we can do this. We can have in-person uh, interviews. And, you know, it looks like COVID is, is, is slowly coming to a plateau. And of course, with the reemergence, it's, it's really put a lot of concern um, with not only our personnel, but with, with resident candidates, right? And making sure everyone is being safe. But we've decided to move forward with a hybrid model. And so we're going to leave it up to the candidate to decide if they want to visit our campus or if they would like to do a virtual interview. And we're going to prepare for both and uh, pair people together who have decided to use similar you know, methods. So 
we'll have two interview candidates come in if they want to do in person and then we'll have the virtual pair together that way we minimize any disadvantage from having an odd pairing of someone being physically with us and then someone else virtually interviewing um, but it really allows the candidate to make that decision and take whatever necessary precautions they want to take to feel comfortable on our campus we initially wanted to you know not only do virtual because we did virtual last year and we know how much of an impact that was on our process we didn't really get to showcase our campus as much as we would like to and our current resident honestly probably didn't see anyone until a couple of months into the process and that was also an interesting transition for her and so we want to make sure that we have that option for people uh, to come to our campus because we are on campus now um, our students and our personnel here and we will take all the necessary precautions of course with social distancing and sanitization and um, offering independent lunches instead of the group lunches that we typically have. We'll just have that, uh, have them have their own space so they feel comfortable doing that. So that's what we're doing moving forward. And we're hoping that, you know, we're able to be flexible. We are going to allow in-persons to be switched to virtual if we have to, if something happens. You know, we have a lot of, of issues now with cases popping up and the need for, you know, quarantining people and kind of um, having isolation. And so we'll still have a lot of virtual capability, but we want to give the option for the um, candidates to come on campus if they want to. I think that's wonderful that you're doing. I can't even imagine how much, it just sounds in my head, like a significant amount of planning that had to go into just being able to offer just that simple thing is just like this hybrid model. I have to ask a tough question, though. I can already kind of tell you're doing things to make these equitable. You're doing, you know, if you have two people interviewing, it's not going to be a mixture. It's going to be two in person or, or two virtual. But then after the fact, what are some of the things you're doing to make sure it's an equitable process for when you're looking at all the candidates retroactively and, and seeing like, okay, as we're comparing the ones that did virtual to the ones that are in person, how do you prevent yourself from just naturally gravitating towards those in-person interviews? That is a great question. Um, and thankfully for our kind of review process, we've tried to make our rubric as objective as possible. And so we focus a lot on, of course, CV content, your letter of intent, letter of recommendation when we're screening you to come. But then we have presentations that we do, which, you know, for the most part, I don't think will be affected by an in-person versus a virtual um, kind of presentation. We have our clinical cases that, again, are mostly individual and so you have minimal contact but we are being mindful of, of allowing as much interaction for the virtual interviews as well so we have some social kind of items that we've included in the virtual process that way it's not just a robotic interview going through the whole motion you get to you know meet people and you get to talk about your your you know goals and get to know you as a person not just go through our interview process and so we're hoping to get a better sense of people that way um, those who decide to do virtual. And then when we eventually meet together to rank candidates, that's something as a program director that I have to help lead our team to say, hey, you know, there should not be a bias towards, oh, this person was warm and friendly in person and reminding people that some people are awkward on, you know, video conferences. <laughs> I know I am sometimes. And some people, you know, are just, you know, either shy or there's technology issues. And so we have to give a lot of grace if, you know, we feel like someone's virtual interview was not as stellar and really focus on those objective markers and, and have that be a lot of what we focus on and just try to be as balanced as we can. 
but it's not going to be a perfect system. Of course, we're learning. We've never had a hybrid interview process or really done a lot of virtual interviews prior to this. And so we'll just be mindful of that. So you may not have heard this, but if you've listened to our podcast, we have a trivia segment. It, it's our listeners. We assume their favorite part of the podcast is the postgraduate uh, trivia. So we always like to ask questions. I'll go first. I did a little bit of digging and investigating. So hopefully, hopefully this, this question has a little bit of nostalgia to it, especially with your background. Uh, Taylor might like this one too, uh, because it has to do with baseball. So I'm hoping he gets it right from the baseball perspective. Back in February 6, 1895, George Herman Ruth, a.k.a. Babe Ruth, a.k.a. the Great Bambino, a.k.a. the Sultan of SWAT, uh, played 22 seasons of Major League Baseball for the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees, mainly for the New York Yankees. And he scored 714 home runs. And I know there's a lot of controversy about is he the leading home runner, but the, the the length of their seasons are different. So we're not getting into that today. That's not the question. My question is, where was he born? And you have options. Your options are, and these might sound familiar, Chicago, Illinois, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, Baltimore, Maryland, or Winchester, Virginia. Oh, this is hard. I will, first of all, I will apologize. I am not the biggest baseball fan. <laughs> And these are all places I know very well. This is the sad part. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, please, whoever is listening, please do not crucify me if you're a baseball fan. I'm just going to guess Baltimore. Okay, Baltimore. What do you think, Taylor? That's also what I was going to say. I agree with Adenica. Okay. Well, you're both correct. It is Baltimore, Maryland. That's awesome. All right, I'll have a quick question, and then we'll get back to it. So my question, since you are now a Texas resident, has to do with Texas. So obviously there's a, a, a diverse population in, in Texas. Two most common spoken languages are English and Spanish. But what is the third most common language? So is it German, French, Vietnamese, or Arabic? I would say Vietnamese. That was going to be my guess before you gave options. Like I was leaning towards Vietnamese. So that's what I, that's what I'll say. Well, congratulations. We are a hundred percent correct on trivia today. Adenica is two for two all time. So that means you can come, that means you definitely can come back on a future episode. We'll have to do the challenge round next time. Yeah. I'm going to come with a harder question. All right, well, let's get back to the show. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is kind of, you know, as a program director or somebody interviewing candidates, when they're in front of you, what are what are the things that you're focusing on or hoping to see during their interview? Sure. So I can, t before I answer that question, let me just give a little bit about like the application review and what we're looking for. And then I'll segue to the actual interview. I pay a lot of attention to the letter of recommendation. I think, you know, we all put our best foot forward with the CV and the letter of intent and definitely carry a lot of weight. But what other people who've known you for a long time say about you really matters to me. And so I review the comments, I review the experiences. So I always, you know, encourage candidates to get strong letters from people who know them. So don't just look at the title of the person and say this will be a good fit. Focus on people who've known you the longest and who can really speak to your strengths um, and really speak 
dedicate the time it takes to write these letters to versus just putting a few um, prompts in. And then once we get applicants on site, um, for me, it's just authenticity. I can, I've done a, a few of these interviews already in, uh, in my career, and I can tell when someone is telling me what they think I want to hear. Um, versus just truly being authentic to themselves and someone who's able to speak of their strengths, but also things they hope to develop. Because in the interview process, we're hoping to get a match, a good fit, right, of someone who we can offer all of the great tools that we have to help them get to their goal. And so if you tell me this is your goal and I don't see evidence of that or, you know, later down the line in the interview, you switch up on me and say something different, I start to have these tingly feelings that maybe you're not being truly authentic to yourself. So I, I highly encourage applicants to just be authentic and um, spend that time really getting to know the program and being clear about their goals, right, so that we know that we're able to support that. And then someone who's flexible. So we'll ask a few situational questions just to see how you handle change and how, how you handle stress sometimes, because at least with AmCare, we can definitely say that nothing is ever guaranteed. <laughs> Things change from day to day with patients. <laughs> and so uh, to be a good AmCare pharmacist, and even in academia too, things change all the time. We're, we need someone who is able to be flexible and someone who's able to think on their feet and someone who just really just wants to do the work. And so we ask a few situational questions just to see how you handle change and stress. And I pay particular uh, attention to those questions and the responses to those questions um, and trying to pick a good candidate. Well, I love how you mentioned that you're looking for authenticity. We've said on this podcast, I know numerous times about being yourself and the importance of that. And it kind of makes me think about another question as well. So I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Internship with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, where they intern at Google, but they mentioned this thing called the layover test, where you ask yourself, would you want to be stuck at an airport bar with the person for a six hour layover? I think it's similar to the, would you want to work with this person for a year? So with your program, do you use a version of the layover test and how important is that to you? Great. So I have not watched the movie. I think that's something for me to consider adding to my list. But we don't have a formal like litmus test or that kind of process. But I'm always thinking about can I work with this person for a year, right? Um, we have a very unique culture on our campus. One, it's a Southern state, and so everyone's warm and fuzzy and friendly. <laughs> um, we just love talking to people, and we're also Amcare pharmacists, and so we have a certain uh, culture that's very open and very inviting. Um, and so I'm always wondering to see, you know, if a candidate has a different personality, that might not be the, the best fit for our, our culture here. Um, if someone is kind of closed off or um, has a, a personality that doesn't work well with others, is not a team player, I pay attention to those kind of um, things during our conversations. And I always just wonder, like, if I had to work with you for a year, would it be a pleasant experience, right? If my patients had to work with you for a year, do I feel like you're going to be a great advocate for them and um, someone who truly has their best interest? So we, we think about that. I definitely think about that. We talk about that during these ranking meetings um, and these, um, you know, our committee meetings when we, we, we talk about the interview process. Um, and so applicants should definitely think about that and vice versa they should think about would i want to be here for a year right can i see myself at this program and, and doing well and thriving or do i feel like it's going to be an uh, excruciating experience for an entire year to keep up with yeah i've heard uh, i i've been told 
once or twice people say like you can do anything for a year i'm glad you said it just now where it's like you need you still need to say do i would i fit here for a year could i see myself here for a year because a year is a long time so you really don't want to waste a year so you want to as much as a program is looking at and saying do i want to work with this person for a year the candidate should still be looking at that absolutely and i i I always emphasize that during our electives I tell people that the ranking and the match process is not a numbers game. We hear a lot of, oh, just rank everyone you've you know interviewed with as far as you get a program. And I have a question I tell people, do you want a program or you want the program, right? Are you willing to put up with anything for a year um, and not get the best training, which will, of course, affect your second year and your actual career? Or would you want to wait and even potentially go through phase two and get the right program for yourself that will foster your development? I um, mean, thinking about my journey to get to this point, my first year was pivotal in building my confidence and my skills to even do well in my second year and then do well as a clinical pharmacist. And it's not the most popular program, but it in all the choices I had, it was the right fit for me. And so it's really important to pay attention to the culture, pay attention to the camaraderie among the people in the residency and see, is this the right you know, environment for you? And, and making sure that that one year is not wasted because you're taking a pay cut, you're taking a lot of hours that you're gonna to have to train through, right? And making that decision. And so that one year technically is three years compressed into one. And so you wanna make sure you make that right decision for that year. Great. Thank you for that answer. So without giving, you know, too many details away, do you have some way that you assess the candidates during the interview and how important is that assessment compared to like the overall interview? Yeah, so we definitely have um, multiple kind of activities and interviews set up so that we can assess not only their clinical skills, but of course their personality communication skills since there is some teaching involved with our program. Um, And we try to get as many eyes on the candidate as we can. That way we have a robust conversation. Um, And so we do have a rubric like most programs do that we use to evaluate our um, on-site interviews and and making sure that we're able to really assess the full capacity of the candidate. I tell our students and residents too, getting the interview is half of the process, right? So that means you're great on paper, you're competitive, you've done all the right things to be able to get this interview process. Once you're on site, I just want to know more about you, right? Um, not as much as your classes, not as much as, you know, all those details. It's just what are your goals and what do you want to do as a professional that's training to become a clinical pharmacist? And I just want to learn more about um, your, you know, desires in terms of training, teaching, and all those details. And so we try to create a lot of activities where we're able to have those conversations and not be threatening. Um, something I pride myself on um, as an RPD, but also as a program, we try not to be threatening in our approach, right? So we're not trying to create a hostile, competitive interview process. It's really a, a laid back experience mm-hmm. for you to be able to just meet like-minded people and talk. Um, and that way we get the most out of our candidates versus you know, trying to intimidate them by having difficult questions or 
Um, you know, you might, I've been through a few interview process where I feel like the post presentation questioning was just brutal. <laughs> and so I'm very mindful of us asking intelligent and relevant questions versus just throwing volume of questions at, at candidates as well. And so we, we take all that into account. We have a rubric that we use, and then we um, not only use the numerical value of that rubric and having this discussion at the end, but also the experiences, right? So what were the unique you know, experiences? Are they a good fit for us? And then have a robust conversation. And then as RPD, I don't take solo decisions. We vote as a group to say, here is how we want to rank. And I think that's important for candidates to be mindful of. Every interaction matters from the person who's opening your door to the staff who's booking your flights. We all have these conversations together. And so um, we group, we, uh, as a group, we vote on our ranking list and then we submit it after. You gave us so many gems there. I love that you said, and you said it earlier on about being authentic on the interview, and that's what you're looking for. And I love that you kind of reinforced that and, and said it, you're not there to regurgitate everything off your CV. You're not like you weren't asked to come interview or, or to virtually interview so you could just say out loud everything that we've already read on paper. You're there to get to know the candidate. You're there to get to see what's not on the paper. So I think that's good because I think some some candidates have a tendency to say like, oh, did you see that I did this and I did this and I did this? And it's like, yeah, we we did. And even if we didn't remember it, we have it. We have it right here to look at. So having been the RPD for a few years now, what are some of the biggest blunders or mistakes that you've seen happen with interviewees? I have quite a collection. Um, I would start with a lighter and then kind of go to more serious things. Uh, one of the lighter ones that people don't think about is comfort. And so I've seen some candidates either like wear shoes that are new or an outfit they're not the most comfortable in and then just look uncomfortable the entire day. Uh, so I always tell students and candidates, just please dress the part. There'll be a lot of walking if it's going to be an on-site interview, right? You're going to see multiple places. And so just be comfortable um, and pace yourself as well. Uh, two, don't be as nervous as, as you, you know, as I've seen some people, because you can have some physical manifestations of that where you're physically trembling or just sweating. And it's just really uncomfortable um, at that point. So just relax. And, you know, you've got the interview, which means you're qualified to be there um, and just be open and warm. So on like the lighter side, those are some things I've noticed. And then the more serious side is not being prepared. Um, I've seen people who, uh, you know, come for an interview and they don't do their due diligence in reviewing the program or the institution before they come on site. And so they either make assumptions that are not correct or outdated um, information, or they just ask a lot of like foundational questions that they should know at that point. And that is not a very positive, you know, experience or look um, as an RPD having to give as much foundational information. It shows that you haven't done your homework. And then being rude, uh, I take that very seriously. Uh, not just rude to, because most people will avoid being rude to the RPD and the preceptors, right? Because they know they have a lot of say in that in that process, but it's everybody. I pay attention to how you treat your fellow interviewee because we have paired interviews. I pay attention to how you treat students because you will interact with some students, um, how you treat our staff. I'm really mindful of your personality and how um, courteous you are with the thank you emails and just being mindful of how much effort goes into having you on site and the people who are supporting this particular process. And so being rude is a really big um, red flag for me. 
and a blunder that you can easily cost you your position if you're not mindful of, of being just nice and being kind to people. Um, and then lastly, that authenticity, I cannot you know say that enough, is if you say one thing in a letter of intent and then we ask you specific questions along that line and it's not tallying up, um, it just looks like your, you know, your letter of intent was rehearsed or you're just telling us what we want to hear at that point. And so I encourage um, applicants to just be themselves. If you are asked a question and you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I will look it up and I'll try to get that information to you versus, you know, um, making a fake clinical scenario or just trying to give an answer because you think you have to give an answer. Well, there, there you heard it. Just be authentic, be kind, be compassionate warm and open. I like that. That one resonated with me. Yes. And just don't be as nervous. It's hard to say don't be nervous because I understand. But truly, just before you start, take a few deep breaths. And I always like to start each individual interview, even when I was a candidate, just saying, how's your day going? And just having that little icebreaker um, usually just reduces the tension a little bit because I know it is a very stressful experience for a lot of people. But truly, the best thing you can do for yourself is just breathe and try as much as possible to enjoy the process. And with virtual interviewing, it's really awkward um, to pay attention to all technology and placements and things like that. But honestly, your personality will shine through regardless. So just really take a deep breath and enjoy meeting people and be prepared so you don't have to kind of be nervous about that. Um, but we're not trying to we're not trying to intimidate you. We're not trying to make it difficult. We just want to get to know more about you. All right. So any closing thoughts or last minute advice you have on interviews? I think for our candidates coming up, uh, you guys have been through a very unique year. So give yourself some grace. Um, if your first interview doesn't go as planned, don't get frustrated and give up. Learn from that interview process, right? Each interview is unique and even in each interaction within an interview is unique, right? So if you need an RPD for your first interview at a place that doesn't go as well, take a deep breath and kind of recalibrate and um, recover from that and try your best to, to give your best at the remaining interviews. Don't get defeated. And um, just really, really pay attention to what you're looking for. It's hard for us to give you a good interview experience if you don't know what you're looking for. So spend some time now before interview season starts, um, really nailing down what you're looking for in a program. That way you're able to quickly identify and, and have a better ranking system for yourself once you know what you're looking for. That advice, plus pretty much everything you said before, I think has been golden advice today. So it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great experience. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.